Hi, I'm Ben, your host for the next hour, and you're listening to a Virgin Startup podcast produced with the support from our friends at Virgin Money. The podcasts are recordings of our free meetups, which take place every month. Check out virginstartup.org events to sign up for the next one. This week, we're back with our In Conversation With series, where we speak to one founder about their journey, where they started and where they're going, and what they've learned along the way. I was thrilled to meet Dan Murray-Serta, the founder of Braincare startup Heights. Dan's personal battles with insomnia and anxiety led him to launch the new venture, which is becoming one of the most exciting brands in the UK. I hope you enjoy our conversation as much as I did. I'm now really excited to get uh, founder of Heights, uh, podcast host of Secret Leaders, Dan Murray-Serta, live on the Virgin Startup Stage. Good evening, Dan. Mate, hello. Your background is a lot more inspiring than mine. I'm basically just like wrapped up and making sure that I'm I'm, I'm warm and ready for our conversation. <laughs> well, look, the difference is, is your everything that that's my brain back there, and yours is in your brain. Yeah, um, that's true. So, so it's just flipped it. So that that's that all works. Um, I almost called you Dan Meta Serta as, as you joined us then, but of course that that isn't your real name. Or are you thinking about converting? It's just just my Twitter name for now. Uh, no, you know what, you guys, uh, you guys in your uh, mail out to me, uh, to your audience announcing this event called me Dan Murray Server, um, hey. which is great. It means that like one way or another, whether it's Meta or it's Server, people are definitely identifying with me as the you know, future technologist. Dan Meta server, and then you've got you know the full package. It feels like you know you take do anything for your SEO. Um, yeah, so exactly. Dan, what I thought we'd do is well, we've got time to go deep tonight, and really appreciate you giving us your time in amongst everything that we're going to discover you're you're working on and you you've got going on in your life right now. Um, but I thought we could start with a in terms of getting to know you, a quick quiz and some warm up questions. So this is the old. Uh, it's not I have never. We won't go there just yet. But it's uh, either or. So I'm going to give you two options, and you're going to give us your instinctive response. And if they need explaining, we will. You ready? Yes, sir. All right. Tea or coffee? Coffee. Mornings or evenings? Evenings. Desktop or mobile? Mobile. Remote or office? Ooh. Remote. I, yeah, remote. Fiction or nonfiction? Oh, nonfiction. Correct answer. Clubhouse or handbag house? I don't even know what handbag house is, so clubhouse. <laughs> we, I, I need to take you, you know, take you back to the, you know, the late nineties. Uh, how it? No, I, I, I was Apparently like, what is do. the other option to clubhouse, which we can talk about? <laughs> uh, bootstrap or VC backed? Oh, great question. Well, I run, I run two, I, I run both. Um, sorry, you want a snapshot? Um, oh, that is a very tough one. <laughs> probably VC backed, but marginally. I guess it's where you are right right in this moment. I know I know it depends is, is well, the see, well see, Secret Leaders uh is uh is a bootstrapped company with employees and stuff and so I can give insights on, on both. I literally understand the challenges of, of both of them. They're very different kind of challenges. Exactly. And it isn't binary. I appreciate it. Okay. Metaverse or local park? I mean, local park, because I love walking and I love nature, but I do, I do like my metaverse, as you know. You are curious. Uh, B2B or D2C? Oh, D2C. Yeah. Canva or Photoshop? Canva. Stripe or pipe? Pipe, because Harry's my friend. <laughs> Harry's your friend. What is pipe, for those that don't know? 
Uh, call it cash flow financing for uh, revenue businesses. So businesses that get sort of a, a monthly subscription would be ideal for it. You get your cash up front um, and you don't have to dilute for it. That's a better explanation than their value prop. Uh, NFT or crypto? NFT. Yeah, again, maybe not a different choice. A uh, very quick explainer: NFTs for the, for those that don't know what you're talking about. Oh, the future of uh, the future of, of of the internet, the future of ownership. But yeah, they stand for non fungible tokens, and ultimately, um, they are a way to value an asset and give it um, give it ownership or ownership amongst many people and create a record of that ownership. And I think a misconception is it can only be art. You could, for example, create an NFT access group for Virgin Startup and, um, and and issue it to people and create a private community. And you can only get into that community if you have the token. So that then becomes an access token. There are all sorts of interesting things people are doing. Um, very interesting one recently was Poolside FM, um, who are a great internet here, created the Pool Suite NFT. And the idea there is, You'll only get access. They had they were in Miami. They were having parties. You could only go to that party if you hold the Paul Suite NFT. So it's like access to their community, both digitally but also physically at events and hotels. So the world is your oyster, but think about it in terms of uh, a very clear way of saying I am an owner of this thing. That's a great explanation. And and Paul Suite, I mean Handbag House and Paul Suite definitely overlap. There's a Venno overlap there. Um, and even if you're not quite sure about NFTs, the tunes are banging. Um, <laughs> final couple, uh, Dan, parenting or CEOing? Well, I haven't done enough parenting to be honest with you. She's three months old, so I have a very proud cat dad. Uh, my cats are pretty well behaved, so I'll, I'll say that I've had uh, some background, but for now, I'll say CEOing because I've just done more of it to speak from experience. And one of my things is I do like to speak as often as I can from experience, less opinions, more experience. So I don't know enough about being a dad just yet. Yeah. And you're not the CEO parent in the house, I get, I'm guessing. No, I'm right. I'm not. <laughs> Inbox Zero or Gym Hero? Oh, Inbox Zero. Yeah. You still get the kicks from clearing your, clearing your desktop. Um, I really do. Hopeful or mopeful in this moment? Oh, hopeful. Well, there you go. You're in the Always 1%. Hopeful. You're in the one percent in this in the UK right now. Well, uh, yeah, the... I, it's the least it's the least British thing about me for sure. But I'm quite American in my positive attitudes. I I like to think uh, glass half full very often, and I appreciate that. You know that can be quite annoying with my friends down the pub sometimes when they just want to complain. But you know, I think um, on in in most circumstances, the most positive outcome is more likely. The most rational reason is most likely people aren't really out to get you. Not everything is, you know, against you and the world. A lot of this comes down to mindset, but also experience. Like you look back on some moments where you had a lot of preconceived ideas about what was happening or how things were. And a lot of that was just going around in your own head, never actually came to fruition. So half of it is instinct. And then half of it is just looking back on experiences and realizing that it was my own mindset that was coming with that attitude more than any sort of fact around it. So hopeful. You've you've reminded me of a, a great uh, mentor or, or sort of hero of mine, which was a this old Fijian man. I mean, I lived on an island years ago in Fiji and uh, he would turn to me whenever we were dealing with a challenge, whatever it was. And he said, ah, Ben, there's uh, no, nothing hard in this world. Nothing hard in this world. The only thing is is me and you. 
And basically, you know, just that very sometimes when English is a second or third language for someone, I don't know if you find this, they often are better explaining things because they use less words, right? Yeah. Nothing hard in this world, only you and me. So if you can basically deal with your own mindset and your own blockers up here, then um, then most things can be figured out or at least, you know, deal with the challenges that come your way, which which is one of the reasons I guess you, you're building heights, which we will come to. But a couple of more quick fire questions. And I'd love to love to really go back in time a bit and hear about your journey, your own uh, entrepreneurial journey. Um, but is there a brand or a business you'd like to shine a light on tonight who you think are doing great things and you admire? Oh, there's quite a few, to be honest. Um, let's go for ones I'm a big fan of. Um, all plants. Love Ooh. them. Not, I'm not a vegan, but they help me eat loads more vegan plant-based food that's delicious. Had it for lunch, probably have it for dinner, to be honest. I'm just a massive fan. Um, Thrift, which is an awesome, um, awesome company. Thrift Retail or Thrift Plus, if you're looking for them. Um, they essentially enable you to... Um, get rid of your nice second like your clothes the second hand and upload them on a marketplace and they sell them for you and the whole end-to-end -end experience i'm you know i usually do i used to usually do like at the end of the year you know a trip to the charity shops and all that kind of stuff and they just send you a bag and you just do a click and collect and it's just phenomenal it's such a great experience you make money you make money for a charity they make money and the experience is better i think startups that are really trying to like innovate in something sustainable and do something around supply chain and actually solve some of your problems uh they get my massive win and then the last one we just became a b corp ourselves at height so i'm trying to do as much as i possibly can to um switch and support other b corps so i just left ee and made my business partner joel leave vodafone and we just switched to honest mobile because they're the nice. only only b corp uh mobile phone and you know one thing I will say about me um, that I'm proud of is I am willing to support other people's startups, no matter like the really hard things. The worst one I ever chose to do was my friend was working on an ISP, so internet service provider as a startup. And I switched all of our own internet over to that, much to my wife's dismay on what kind of risk that might have. And obviously it didn't uh, necessarily go well. We were without internet for quite a while, but I stand by my morals. I like to support people doing good things. and switching mobile contracts is one of the last things in the world a founder that's quite busy could ever be bothered to do but i was willing to do it because they're a b corp we're a b corp and i'm just dedicated to trying to live a more sustainable life and i don't think that the only sustainable brands by any means are b corp brands because it's a ridiculously hard process and most people mm -hmm. don't make it through um but if you can find companies that are b corps then it is like a guarantee that you're making more conscious decisions and that makes life a little bit easier so um, I give my shout out to Honest Mobile for um, their brand new customer as of as of yesterday. Oh, that's great news, and I, I I'm with you on that. And the Fairphone, which is the product that the hardware product that they're selling, hmm. uh, promoting, is a, a remarkable startup story, um, which I think is going to you know one of the hardest sectors in the world to disrupt. Um, I, I as I was listening to you, Dan. <laughs> talk about uh, thrift all plants and honest mobile and saying yeah i convert to anything it's almost like there could be a sequel to yes man do you remember the danny wallace book and the and the yeah and the film where it's like Great instead film. of saying yes to everything you basically say yes to any startup that's pitched to you and then like see what <laughs> happens to your life it'd be quite entertaining i reckon it it would be like your... it'd, be, it'd be entertaining but it'd be an absolutely awful idea i mean the thing that's really fun is uh, you know that's where most of my money goes and just like supporting other startups but it does get to a point where um you know 
I have I have other people other than just me to worry about. My wife does wonder how I keep accumulating these things that might might not actually be relevant to my gender, age, stage, or anything. <laughs> well, me, it's me pay, her, paying it me forward. Is... Startup period pants was a new one where she was like, didn't even ask me if I wanted these. I'm like, yeah, but cool company. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's that's a market. I tell you, that's the one that's changing very fast. Yeah. Um, and and again, just briefly on all plants, I think you, you summed it up perfectly. I'm not a vegan, but I love this product or this food. And and mm. I, you know, similar to yourself, and I've been buying all plants for over a year now. And and I think the key to that is the branding as well as the food's great. It's the branding, right? It's it's plants, not ve- you know, vegan isn't talked about there. So it's just that clever repositioning of a name. Um, that, that then feels like, oh, I'm into this. I can do this, and I'm not going to be stereotyped or having to argue with people. Um, super clever. Um, uh, on the, I, this is an impossible question, but secret leaders, favorite, most, you know, out of the recent ones, who's who do you keep going back to? I think I really enjoyed that, or that had a um, massive impact. Uh, so I've got four, I'd say, that spring to mind really quickly. Do you mind? Um, Go for it. So because you just said recently, so I would say recently. Um, the most fun one that I just like, I, I knew nothing about her to, I mean, being totally honest, I just guess not target market. I had Trini Woodall um, mm. and I just, the total lack of, um, you know, cause she's like an inter- a, a TV celebrity and I, I don't engage in TV. I don't watch TV. I don't really engage in TV celebrity. And so I didn't really care. Um, and I really, so I came with zero preconceived ideas. I'd never seen her on the telly. Um, I just knew that she was this like really interesting entrepreneur building Trini London. And it's got a great story with amazing, um, amazing growth. And she is absolutely like bonkers and amazing. I just hmm. had so much fun interviewing her. Like I asked her really direct questions, really open questions. Um, and I asked her, you know, where all her money went, like why she like how she got into like a financial pit, you know, really like direct questions you like to ask people, but um, most of them are like, well, you know, piss off, don't ask me such personal stuff. And mm. she was just really open, she was really willing to just be super honest about the money that you make in a TV career versus an entrepreneurial career versus like having it all and losing it all, and all of these different bits in between. It's just so, so human. Um, and I just had such a great time interviewing her, and she's become a friend since. So I think that was nice because sometimes. You have no idea who you're going to meet or how it's going to go, and you just get on so well. So her, um, nice. So Trini's buddy, Andy's dropping all these links into the chat, by the way. So this oh, great. is a pod pod episodes to put in your library. Next one, good man. Yeah. So next one, um, Kuba Weekshirik, um, who is the co-founder of Eve, because um, you know he's already a friend of mine, but we actually met in group therapy. Um, so okay. he met group therapy when I was running my last startup and having a lot of troubles and he was starting Eve and having a lot of troubles. Um, you know, we became friends in that place. And actually, um, you know, he really talks about his anxiety, his depression, like really bad depression. And that story, you know, they were the fastest brand to go from launching to IPO in two years, fastest company in Europe ever to do it. And he talks about, you know, the journey of doing that and the depression Mm. it took and how he lost a sense of himself and how he ended up with no money. And you see, you know, it's another story of like the headlines of all your friends think you're so rich because you just floated a company on the stock exchange for 100 plus million or whatever, but you have no money. And how is that possible? And these things don't get talked about enough. And I really wanted to like really delve into that because I know 
he's an honest guy and if I asked the right questions he would be honest about them and it dispels this idea that all founders that go public you know make all this you know it's not true it's the devil's in the detail in these things and also what's brilliant about that conversation although there's a lot of pain that unearthed there is it it shows you the problem how messed up the system is right and now why why the why the financial models need shifting as well well it's choices and he knows this in reflection right but these are choices that adults make on their journey you know you ask me vc or or bootstrap those are choices and so is like what type of vc like we've been very careful with our our fundraising at heights like we do have vc but we have all of the we, we have all of the control um okay. and we had many offers from other vcs where we wouldn't have the control and we turned it all down so you learn these things through mistakes and this is like a different path so um, and, and just on that point whilst we're there hmm. then because you brought it up how do you negotiate control with a vc big question i know but briefly to to give us some insight yeah there's multiple things right so but like one of them is like the most easy way to negotiate control is is traction um so it's picking the fundraising at the right time um, is the most important. So you can really go for funding at any time, but like all narratives, like the narrative is either with you or against you. So you're either growing very fast, you're in demand, you're doing something on Vogue, you've got the right team, you've got all of these things at the right time and a bunch of other offers. If you've got that, you're in control. You negotiate what you want, you tell people the terms, you tell them what you're accepting, what you're not accepting, and people play ball. Um, if you're doing it the other way around, which is look, you're trying to raise money, you've got an idea, you hope things are going to go well, but you know you don't quite have this sort of um, rocket ship behind you or momentum behind you at that exact moment. And by the way, these moments go like this on an entrepreneur's journey. So mm. it's really about trying to find the moment where you feel like you've got that tailwind going up, like that's the moment to start having those conversations because inevitably at some point it'll start to go back down and then trend back up again. And it's very hard to pick those right moments, but if you're doing it at the right moment, you can be in control of the conversations. Um, the other thing that helps is experience. So whether you've got the experience from making mistakes in the past or you've got people that you can go to for experience, that's why I think, you know, secret leaders I'm always really proud of. You know, I do speak to some of the greatest entrepreneurs in the world and I ask all of the tough questions because like we need to know. So there are free resources out there to learn these things. You don't have to have a direct mentor all the time. I, I get most of my information from podcasts. That's why I enjoy doing one. Um, so I think, you know, the answer to your question is momentum and timing. Um, I'll be honest, like if you've got a good business, um, it's not that hard. And if your business is more of a pun, you're just in less control. It's just a reality. So you've got to pick the right journey, the right funding partners. And VC is really not the thing for everyone either. Um, okay, just in my last, my last two. And then we'll move on. So the other one is, is Nicola Kilner, who is the co-founder of Desiem. So they yes. make The Ordinary, one of the biggest uh, skincare brands in the world. They just sold to Estee Lauder for about $3 billion. Um, she's based in Nottingham. She's 32. She's absolutely amazing inspiration. And she, um, their journey building Desiem, her co-founder committed suicide, um, had really, really bad mental health. I just, I didn't know anything about the story. So again, interviewing someone who... I'm really vibing with, really enjoying getting to know through the process of a podcast. And then I find all of this out whilst it's going on. And it turns out this was big news, but you know, I'm a man in my thirties. I'm not a skincare aficionado. I spoke to lots of people afterwards. It turns out everyone was like, yeah, don't you know that? No. Um, so it was a real shock to me. And you know, it's, it's really interesting when you have an interview with someone and, and it, it takes you by surprise to that extent. It's a really serious, you know, all gone through problems with your co-founders and stuff, but one of them like committing suicide is, is crazy. So yeah. 
that is a really powerful episode um, about mental health, about picking that company up and then taking it through to exit to Estee Lauder after all of that. I mean, yeah, how amazing. Incredible. So mm. really fantastic woman. And then my last one, my favorite interview ever, which is Ali Parser from Babylon Health. Um, Cause he is just like a proper visionary and listening to him is just like the, the shot of excitement and passion that you need as an entrepreneur. I learned, had dinner with him last week. He's such a nice guy. Like, we stay in contact a lot um you know he's just he's a real inspiration because he's able to articulate what an enormous vision looks like and then he's like quite relentless at getting there along the way um and i find that inspiring you know he's got a ruthlessness about him that i don't have yet at all and i don't know if i ever will but he's also about 25 years older than me so maybe i'll develop it or something you know but he's very much like nothing comes before the mission and it's really motivating and fascinating to see someone just articulate their vision over and over and over again until it comes to fruition. You know, it's an amazing thing to watch a founder do that. Yeah, the, the difference between talking about persistence and actually actually being an operator. Liz is like, yeah, huge fan of Ali. Thanks for those stories, Dan. Now let's let's switch tax to your story. Yes. Um, so take us back. Where did where did what's your earliest memory of of kind of entrepreneurialism in your life or just this idea of like trying to take something out of your head and put it into the world? Um, I mean, earliest memory of, of uh, entrepreneurship, I would say I did a, um, I did a young, I did young entrepreneur, uh, what's it called? Young enterprise. Um, oh, yeah. I was putting on like parties for kids and things like that, but I was only like 13. Um, I did, I, I, I got my, I was working in a summer camp and I learned how to be a football coach. Um, so I got like FA accredited and I was starting to put on like little football coaching sessions. Uh, like I'm, I'm not a very good footballer, but I was an okay coach. Um, and so I was like 13, 14, basically trying to hustle together this like, you know, events business that had like football coaching, birthday parties, etc. I think that was like the earliest memory realistically. But for me, my dad was um, an entrepreneur. So He'd run the same business for his whole life, really, since he was 18. And so my, you know, entry into like the work market, so to speak, started pretty early as well. I was used to going to, you know, he had a warehouse in Tottenham that was just proper warehouse work. And I learned how to work in a warehouse. Um, I was like, he had a showroom that was like where business actually happened, like the actual office in town. But I was never allowed in there for like years. It was all about going to the warehouse in, in Tottenham and, teaching me what real work is you know literally just doing stock doing proper back-end office stuff and I actually really appreciate that in reality right as in I really appreciate mm. how learning how the back end of the business works mm. with the people that make it work is a really great start to life and I never ended up going into my dad's business or anything like that but it was really helpful to have someone who's building a business very nuts and bolts um and just seeing like a physical manifestation of that in the real world i think that was super helpful for me yeah and 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 so many of the businesses that we run these days you you're not physic there, there isn't a physicality to it no. often and so and so yeah i can imagine the power of that learning what was the product uh so he was in fashion manufacturing so a really like really really awful um space for uh for anyone to maintain stress levels and health so he would basically um supply high street retailers with uh, with 
like blouses and skirts and dresses, etc. So your MS and your Wallace and Faze and like a bunch of like the high street retailers. But um I learned very early on that is not a not a good business. As in it's exceptionally stressful. Working in fashion, particularly, um, very hard. Very, very hard market. So, but it, um, but it didn't put you off. It didn't it, like seeing that that business model was tough and how much work there was going on and how much stress it created. It didn't put you off the idea of of building your own business. I thought it did, to be honest. Um, I really thought it did. So I never wanted to be an entrepreneur. I was really not. Um, I can't really stress enough that like, growing up with my dad, like he had very bad health um, and he had two heart attacks and lots of stress induced stuff and. A lot of the stuff that you're doing in fashion manufacturing, the supply chain is kind of out of your control. So mm. the retailer will change their mind at the last minute, but you've already committed to making 100,000 garments and now they're your problem. And so that kind of stuff will kill a business. And so, you know, understanding like where decisions get made in this, in this world and, and how that all impacted my dad's health, uh, which deteriorated like the whole time whilst I was a kid growing up, really put me off entrepreneurship. So... I actually wanted to go into advertising. I did go into advertising. I was not into the idea of being an entrepreneur at all. But my, you know, it's just one of those weird things. One of my best friends, Joel, who's still my co-founder now, was tinkering with stuff. You know, he was at PwC. He was always coming up with new ideas and new things and kind of partner in crime um, was sort of getting me to test things with him, like on the weekend. And like we were just playing around with like fun ideas and stuff. And one of them ended up taking off, which was a, a group buying discount site so at the same time as Groupon mm. um, we basically ended up finding like a software supplier in the Ukraine that was doing white label software and we found drop shipping for products and I won't bore you with the whole story but you know we were basically creating this thing on the weekends that then like took off and you know it, we did like a hundred thousand sales in our first month um, which was ridiculous what? um and like how were, how did you just a few ads so, or yeah no so um the positioning was all about the student market um so we were basically supposed to be like the group on for students um we negotiated a deal with hungry house who at the time had just launched right so the just eat competitor and we got this deal that was five pounds uh five pound free takeaway um my focus was like totally like can we get digital discounts so we don't have to hold stock or do anything different a problem with the company as it went on was we ended up having to do stock it. It became a whole nightmare. But at the time, amazing because we did this deal with Hungry House where they gave us five pound free takeaway voucher for anyone that signed up, and we mm. got paid one pound in commission every time someone used it. So it basically got onto like you know, a discount websites and voucher websites, and it just went viral. Um, and so for Hungry House, it was sort of great. It was their customer acquisition cost baked in. Um, in reality, students, this is the kind of thing about creating value, right? Students were delighted because, you know, outside of London, go to Birmingham, go to Nottingham, go to Leeds, like five pounds is most of your takeaway off anyway. So it's like a free meal. Um, and so uh, people were getting a free meal. People were signing up to us. We were getting paid one pound every time someone did that. So like 100,000 of these, we made 100,000 pounds in like our first month, like food scraps. It was just the dream start. You Neither, realize this say, shit is easy. E easy. <laughs> um, needless to say, all went downhill for the rest of my life after that, where I learned that entrepreneurship is very hard. But uh, it didn't go downhill. It just, it just that that's a. I had a false, not a false dawn, but I had a similar takeoff with a with an early stage business. And it is weird because at the time you're going, oh wow, this is it. You just pull the trigger and off you go. And and um and yet, you know, 
the problems compound later on, don't they? And at that moment, what was what was the underlying motivation? If you reflect, was it just purely like the fun of creating something with a friend that was getting momentum, or was there like, hey, this is a money, this is a money play, we're going to get rich quick, or was there something else triggering your action? Um, I mean, look, at the time, being totally honest, like uh, I didn't, I didn't, like I said, didn't want to be an entrepreneur, so I kind of like needed to be dragged into it, kicking and screaming. Um, so it was purely a money thing, um, which is hilarious because literally, like, there is no worse way to make money than being an entrepreneur. But I didn't have that first experience, right? So this is kind of the super ironic moment here where I tried my hand at something suddenly it made lots of money and I was like wow that is the promised land this is going to be like how I get rich which I literally I didn't care about but suddenly that happens and you're like oh okay and then really like I genuinely I just started meandering towards enjoying problem solving so I was working in advertising um I had progressed in my career extremely quickly um so i was 24 and i'd come into this agency i'd been poached there at 22 and i'd already basically been through every job as they'd grown so mm. when i joined there were like 12 people by the time i was leaving there were 110 and i was basically um the creative and account director across like everything so i was very like um you know not in an arrogant way but i was always like give me more give me more give me more and i was just like really fired up and ready to go all the time and i felt like i'd sort of hit a ceiling so I had this like six month period, I remember, where I was just agitated. I had this feeling in my gut and I wasn't sure what it was. And, you know, I had these really awesome accounts. I was running accounts for Spotify, for Amazon um, and Olympus, which wasn't as fun. But, you know, they're big accounts. And I was just like, I'm bored. And so entrepreneurship suddenly felt like to me, you know, a place where I'll never be bored. Um that's definitely been true i'll say that much about it <laughs> and uh yeah it's funny isn't it i when we used to run the escape school and we had all these people coming in with the same stories like success success by society standards tick 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 but but you know unhappy and and a bunch of problems brewing um so so jump us forward a little dan so you so you start to struggle yourself is it was it with um insomnia that, that then led to the beginning of this next project yeah, so um, so slightly. So basically, I ran a company called Gravel. Um, mm. uh, eventually, so after a few a few goes, I ended up getting into the whole excited reality of, um, I mean, basically of let's do a, a VC type thing. Let's see what that's about. Um, in reality, I'd like to say that I was a far more classy, smart, intelligent, cool motivated person when i was 26 starting gravel um but it's not true i saw a whole bunch of headlines in TechCrunch and realized that that would be really cool um and my ego got the better of me and i was just like how do we do one of these tech ones and so i didn't know how to start a tech company um and that showed for sure but hmm. over a period of time i ran this company um the long story short, so this is pre-hype, but the long story short is we ran this company for four and a half years. We raised five and a half million pounds. Um, we grew the team eventually to uh, to 57 people. So, you know, I've, I've had really decent experience of like scaling up a team. Um, it all failed in the end. And I think it's a really interesting experience I've had. You know, I learned a lot about VC 
fundraising as well. Um, I learned about shutting down a company. I've learned all sorts of lessons in between. Um, and like, actually, like the main, the main lesson and insight I had prior to Heights was um, being super honest is that I had not been, or we had not been purposeful enough about culture. So everyone talks about culture a lot, and it's like, you know, buzzwordy, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I tell you where it's not buzzwordy is like when your company starts to um, really not work. So culture is like an easy thing in any company with growth. Mm. Culture just works in a company with growth. Mm. Um, you're growing, it's exciting, there's new challenges and stuff. Like culture kind of just happens. And that's what happened with us. Um, but not being deliberate about it, what happens when you're not getting growth and there are challenges and there are problems and there are things to figure out, that's when you notice that you don't really have a culture after all. Um, and and is, that, is that, that the case of just people, like, do they care at that moment? Yeah, right? exactly, exactly. It's like, you know, what are our values? Like, we haven't, like, you know, talked about our values, but have we instilled our values? Have we hired people that have those values? And ultimately, you know, there's a term people use called brilliant dickhead. Um we'd hired a lot of brilliant dickheads. So Hello really... everybody who used to work at <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Well, I look at the end of the day, like, I'm super honest about this stuff. Um, including yeah. to them, including with feedback. I had loads yeah. of great people working for me, but I had loads of mercenary people who were there for the good times, the good salary and all that stuff. And as soon as it was challenging, you know, everyone couldn't wait fast enough to jump ship rather than to figure out how to solve the problem. Um so that was one lesson I learned. The other lesson that I learned actually was um, there was a lot of expectation from a team. By the way, I know this wasn't even your question, so forgive me. Um, but there's a lot of expectation from a team. I think there's a misconception that people hold founders up to a standard of having a lot of the answers. Um, really, like your best founders are asking great questions. They don't really have answers. Um, the lesson that I learned was um, I was consistently trying to prove that I was able to grow enough to answer all of the questions. So mm. we would have growth and product and tech and all of these different aspects and brands and content. And, you know, Dan, what should we do? Joel, what should we do? My co-founder, um, Joel, Dan, Joel, Dan, Joel, Dan. And instead of like saying to them, I don't know, what do you think we should do? That's why we hired you, which is the right answer um and working on it together we would try and come up with the answer so like suddenly we'd be reading another book another blog another hmm. thing another podcast learn 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 and it's two things that happen there like one is you're accidentally creating a culture where people are um, actually incentivized and given the freedom to work these things out on them on their own and then the second is like you also are just completely swamped the entire time, not really able to see the wood from the trees and think about the broader wide strategy because you're in the day-to-day -day and the weed's too much. And that's not a good place for a founder to be. It's not where any good problem solver can really be. So these things were fundamentally like classic cultural problems that we realized after the fact. So when we were starting the Heights, we were massively purposeful about values, like massively. And that's not because we're like really woke. It's literally because we saw how broken what we did was and how you know a lot of our cracks that really came to fruition um when having to close the company and when it came to failing came down to not having the right values instilled in the business so so one of those and i know we're jumping about but i think this is crucial um care without compromise is one of yeah. the, the four values at height so so how do you how do you come up with it and then what how do you put it into action every day 
Great question. So, um, you know, it's one that I've been using a lot over the last 24 hours. Um, and I'll, I'll, hmm. I'll share in a second why. Um, so care without compromise is really tricky um, value. So firstly, what is Heights? Heights is a brain care company. So we create products and services, content, etc., all dedicated to help you take care of your brain. So we have a launch product, which is called a smart supplement, which has been designed to give your brain everything that it needs to thrive on a daily basis. B Corp, highest quality, scientifically backed, all of these different things. This isn't a sales pitch. I will go into it um, maybe later. But um, when you're doing product um, discovery in this area, A, you realize that 99% of supplements are just full of shit, break all the rules. Well, actually, the rules are not there, which is why they do it. Um, so it's a race to the bottom on quality. Um, if you want to create something with absolute like best, best, best intentions, that's where values can be really helpful. So we created like a care without compromise value on the basis that without compromise will enable us to choose ingredients. As an example, um, we will have, um, you know, when it comes to picking ingredients, you have something like um, omega-3s. So you can get really crappy omega-3s you can get great omega-3s. We go to like the nth degree level where we have plant-based algae omega-3s from a Nova Scotia farm that's sustainable. We individually selected that farm. We like specifically sourced it. It's the most bioavailable. It is literally the most expensive source of algae omega-3 in the world with the most studies and all of this stuff. And that's that one that we pick. We then have blueberry extract that's picked from an Italian blueberry farm. And, you know, they have the highest potency of anthocyanin extract in the world. And when I say without compromise, the idea is like you're trying to instill at every different level of your company. Um, how does our value dictate how we behave here? And so when it comes to picking ingredients for something or whatever, it's like if there's an option between A or B or the easy route or the hard route or whatever, it's like this is not a compromised company. We go to the nth degree. So that is one level where it's really helpful. Um, another level is like our customer service team are all trained nutritionists. So the nutritionists and dietitians, which means that any customer service inquiry we get, if you ask us, which we get a lot, you ask us all about your nutritional needs. This is what I take. So I currently take this. Is what I don't. This is my diet. These are my needs, my age, my gender, like all of the different things. I have Crohn's. I have this. I have that. Our customer service team is like trained to do it. They like, get it. Literally, like their job is that. And so no compromise. Doesn't matter who you are as a customer. It doesn't matter. And also the other side, we don't compromise on integrity. So if there's a better product for you or you tell us something that would be like, well, actually our product shouldn't be for you, we completely pass you on to someone else. We have a list of um, companies that we do recommend other people go to. Um, I think these things are like really important as well when you're training your team in how to behave as a company. They also really limit the amount of questions. So, you know, I spoke earlier about, you know, hey, Joel, hey, Dan, like what's the answer to this and stuff? Nine times out of 10, if you've got really clear values and you're building them into your culture, you can go, well, what would you do using this value? Like, what decision would you come to based on that value? So people can usually get to the same decision that you would as the founder as well. Um, so if you've got great values um, and you instill them right, it really helps you like limit the decision-making framework. It helps people have a bit of freedom and autonomy to come up with the decisions and answers themselves. So we're starting to see that really um, come to fruition now. And, you know, just to the point, you know, our chief science officer is a neuroscientist with a PhD in neuropharmacology. So... When there are questions that our CS team can't answer because they go beyond nutrition, they get filtered up to her. So, you know, we've sort of got very different rungs of how we're happy to like answer que uh, questions from any of our customers. But this stuff is super important to us. Like we want to be the very, very, very best.
So, you know, that's exactly. really important. And, and as Hazel's just said, even Stephen Fry loves it. So, uh, well, yeah, exactly. And he has Stephen one hell of a brain. Stephen Fry is one of our, in a month, um, he'll have been on the, I know exactly the date he joined, 5th of, 5th of January, 2020, because uh, he signed up as a customer a day before um, we went live. And he has literally is one of our longer serving customers. He's never missed a day or a month. He go. We, it was funny, like, as in um, lockdown, because we're obviously D C. So, you know, not sharing his address or anything. But he changes his. You know, sometimes like, I, can I change the address next month to L A? Can I change it next month to Norfolk? Can I change it next month to London? You're like, this guy's definitely making the most of lockdown. He's got his little three residences moving around the world. But I can say that he's never missed a shipment of heights for sure. That's great. And it's so good hearing that about how you take that value and you've built it into your product, into your culture, into into who you hire, obviously. But the 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 pushback or the challenge back is always, okay, okay, Dan, hold on a second. This is an expensive operation you're building here in terms of talent mm. and product. So product market fit, how do you get from like this point where you've got this vision for this like world-class supplement that's really going to change the way we think about how we're, we're taking care of our minds? Um, and our brains to like making this a, a successful operation financially. So do, do you do that in stages or do you go big on fundraising on day one? No. So um, just to be really clear, like, I um, I like to pride myself on being really honest in the moment of, of my journey. Like, I don't think we have product market fit. Okay. Um, and I say that because, um, because at Gravel, we had product market fit. So I know what product market fit feels like. Um, the house is on fire and you can't hire fast enough. So at this point, there's no product market fit. I mean, also, I'm, you know, I'm a harsh critic, right? So we're doing well, but it's not like so ridiculous that, you know, I can't sleep at night kind of thing. So in reality, um, I don't think we have product market fit. But what I would say is in designing our first product, I never thought we'd make a supplement. Um, it's worth saying. Mm -hmm. So a little bit of background. My, my background is in mobile. So my last company was a mobile tech startup. We made mobile apps. They went viral. Like many of them went to number one in the UK. A um, couple of them went to number one like worldwide. Like, you know, mobile product was kind of our jam. Um, in reality, um, you know, doing the research for this, the reason I got into this is because I had insomnia. You likened this earlier. So I had insomnia and really bad anxiety for six months. Um, did everything I could to try and cure it. I went to a dietitian, I went to a nutritionist. Sorry, didn't go to the dietitian or nutritionist, I went to them at the end. I tried um, meditation and I tried sleep therapy and like all the different things. And after six months, I went to the doctor, gave me sleeping pills. And after six months, I was asked to go and see a dietitian and she prescribed me supplements. So that became, and that was the thing that worked. So that became like a really insightful moment to me. And I started writing a newsletter on how mm. to take care of your brain according to science. So that, is probably the key here i would say is that i i'd say just to uh, sorry to interrupt dan but i'd say this is the key because i know most people in that situation i'm sure we've got many friends entrepreneurial as well who have had those some of those similar mental health um and health challenges who in that moment go oh, i'd love to share this but then they you know beyond their immediate friends and family they don't mm. so what what was the trigger that led you to go i'm going to start writing a newsletter to 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 share what i'm learning and, and see where it goes were you thinking business opportunity or just like great question people need to know yeah so this actually ties into you know we're jumping around a lot again but this totally jump uh, ties into what we were talking about with my, my business partner after we failed so after mm. we failed you know we had a period of like what are we going to do next and how are we going to do it and we went through a process of 
are we going to work together? Are we not? We saw business psychologists to get, you know, therapy together or like get all, all, hmm. all of it out and see um, what we're doing. And we basically came to this decision, whatever we do next, we will, we will do a company based on our values. So we did psychometric tests. What are our personal values? Where did they match? And I'm not joking. We did like the whole hog on this stuff. Um, um, the PTSD <laughs> was real. So we were like very, very deliberate on values. Um, and then we wrote a whole bunch of interview questions, which we still use um based on the values that we came to one of them being care without compromise we wrote all these interview questions for people that we would hire in in imaginary company that we had not defined yet in the future so but a very backwards way of starting this new company which is we decided that we would work together first then we decided that we would create company values and interview questions and interview processes that are all aligned around these values and then we'll figure out what business we're going to make so after the process of figuring out what business we were going to make or the category, we decided mental health, brain, something, but we didn't know what. Uh, and we thought an app because um, we'd just been in mobile, right? So it made loads of sense to us. So Joel had had like gut issues and had had this experience with his with nutrition as well. But it wasn't like, you know, quite as profound as for me where like I'd literally had insomnia for six months and, and suddenly I could sleep again like a baby thanks to supplements. So I was super interested in this whole thing. Anyway, <clears throat> because we decided whatever space we go into will be this brain mental health related area, but we don't know what it will be. We thought the most intelligent thing that we could do is basically start to build an audience from day one. because hmm. Sometimes, I mean, it can take a year to bring a product to market, but that's a lot of time loss for entrepreneurs. So um, we're like, well, whatever we do, if we know that this is the space we want to be in, then we should build an audience of people that are A, interested to see two people go on a journey building in public and, and see what we're learning. And B, um, you know, the other thing is it's going to get us into a really interesting, um, you know, a, a really interesting and practical place at the moment um, where we're forced every single week to learn more and more about the brain ourselves. So if we're reading science papers every week and committing to sending an insightful newsletter every Sunday and building an audience, we've got to start reading the science papers ourselves. Yeah, so, it, it, you're accountable to your audience. Exactly. So it created yeah. it created a cadence that otherwise you don't really have in the first year of a startup when everything's messy and you have an office and all of this stuff. It just created a really decent process for us as the other side. And you know, the outside is like imposter syndrome too. Like, you know, hmm. I suffer from that as much as anyone, not a neuroscientist, not a nutritionist, never made a product in my life in this space, right? And so we worked with um, a whole bunch of, and this, this stuff takes time as well, right? Work with contract lab manufacturers um, and very cognizant of the fact that we didn't know how to make a nutrition product. We didn't even know that's what we wanted to do in the first place. So we ended up, um, working with like one of the leading dietitians in the UK and like I said this like neuroscientist that did a PhD in neuropharmacology that actually understands um, every aspect of this level and they ended up designing and developing the product um, which was a year-long process but in the background you know we tested lots of things like is it going to be a mobile app is it going to be a community is it going to be this is it going to be that the number one thing that actually came up time and time again from scientific research is there are a lot of nutrients that can be found in supplements. They can also, by the way, obviously be found in food. Um, and that is like always been our message and is our key message, which is if you can eat this stuff in your daily diet, do it. Then you don't need hypes. So if you are super healthy and really purposeful about this stuff and borderline perfect, but, you know, not have to quite be perfect. But if, if that is you, you know, I get this all the time. Like people ask, like, do I still need it? I'm like, no, of course not. 
We've just described everything that's in our product. Like, that's great. Go forth and be healthy. But most busy people are really not. They kid themselves that they are, but they're not. And so one of the things we were learning is a lot of these nutrients that are like scientific individual ingredients, nutrients, whatever, that are scientifically proven in so many different um, scientific papers to have a massive impact on cognitive impairment, on anxiety, on depression, on sleep, on all of these different things, on brain fog, et cetera, um, could be brought together inside into a product, um, actually benefit people, which is essentially what happened to me when my dietitian diagnosed me, right? She made me buy four different supplements and they cost me 120 pounds um, because I had to buy high quality ones from Planet Organic. Um, it was really insightful for me because it's like, well, most supplements are cheap and don't work, right? And she was like, well, yeah, exactly. You've got to buy these expensive ones. And suddenly it was a fortune, but it worked. So yeah, yeah. I thought it was really interesting to find a space where there's no awareness, loads of challenge. Everyone has really only ever heard negative things on on supplements. Everyone always just says, where's the scientific evidence? Like, all that kind of stuff. That is the narrative that people generally go to mm. um, rather than a sort of, interesting positive well-being one and i really identify with it because that was me didn't take yeah. supplements highly skeptical thought they're bollocks etc etc um and the industry massively deserves a reputation too because it's one of the only spaces i've ever seen in my life where you can make it there's just a chasm of difference between the um minimum amount you can put into a supplement and make a science and make a claim and then the scientific dosage that actually has an impact. That is an enormous difference. And there's no difference between being able to do that if you're heights and like some of the worst players. So in answer to your question, you know, this became like a process for us of um, of learning what product we were going to build. Kind of surprised it ended up being nutrition, but it was kind of irrelevant what we did. Building an audience and sending a weekly newsletter and finding people to join us on the journey with a broad comms of we're going to help you, following Heist's journey is going to help you take care of your brain, whatever happens. If you've never taken our products, but you've read our newsletter a few times, I guarantee we've improved your mental well-being because all we've ever shared in there is, here is what a science paper says in plain English, but here's what yeah. a science paper says about how to take care of your brain better. And that's great. And you've got some you've got some great chat-up lines. Um, and <laughs> so, so on there, we've got a couple of quick questions on Heights, and there's so much we could do, but then I want to switch to some personal stuff, and then we've got to wrap yeah. up. Um, but uh, we've got Hazel and Andrew here, both asking about the su- substantiation questions. So, oh, yeah. yes, partly because of the the story you've just shared about the industry. Mm. But mm. how do you do it at Heights? How do you say, okay, here's here's what it will do, and there's a great list of fantastic benefits. Um, yeah. Is there a third party that's um, analyzing the product? What? How does it work? Yeah. So um, there's three things basically. So one is we've done third party uh, third party blood trials with our audiences. So. Uh, two groups, vegan and omnivore, um, which is important because like very different kinds of uh, of nutrient level requirements. Um, save a very long story short, um, and it's also interesting on product development. But save a long story short, quite deficient in a lot of nutrients. This was actually testing blood levels. Right, there's really two things that happen with this. One is like what is in your bloods, and that is the factual information of whether our product works or not. Um, then there's how people feel. So tell people that they're deficient in X, Y, and Z, and now they've taken a product, they're, they're back to optimal levels. Sounds great, but people don't really care about that. So the answer to the questions of like substantiating product trials, ingredients, etc. Yes, we've done that and they have positive impact, but actually what we've learned anyway is people don't really care about that. They care about how they feel. 
Um, do they literally feel better after a certain period of time? And of course, the answer to that question ends up being, well, you know, depends where you are in your life. Is your diet already healthy? Are you contributing to your well-being? Or are you coming from a place of, you know, below the baseline, like quite a lot of people are, especially in a pandemic? Um, so I'm not sure I'm answering that question like directly. So yes, we've done third party independent blood trials. And actually, one of the things we learned in our blood trial was our vitamin D levels weren't high enough. So we learned that actually people in our trial, 100% of participants in our trial, vegan and omnivore, were deficient in vitamin D after taking heights, which had a high level of vitamin D in it. Using that insight enabled us to upgrade our vitamin D levels substantially and retest and actually do the blood trials again and find out that people were at the optimal levels again. But like that's super interesting, like being mm. willing to put your money where your mouth is and test your own product and find out that there are deficiencies in your own formula and upgrade it and improve it. That's a cool thing about being D2C, by the way, in this space, because actually most products are just made and they sit in a shelf for two years in a back storage cupboard somewhere at like a Holland and Barrett. And they won't be touched, obviously, because they're, they're just there. So yeah. that's cool about doing D2C, like reordering based on that. Um, the other question was, well, I guess around... Well, um, go on. No, no, I was going to say, well, this ain't no Theranos. And, uh, you know, this is maybe they should take a leaf out of your book. They would have messed up so badly. Um, talking of D2C, we've got Andrew, who's a customer and a fan. And he's saying, like, that question around how do you, when do you know is the right time to get out of the weeds? So he sees you answering, you know, courier, courier's questions for the magazine or, um, mm. you know, appearing on podcasts, doing this. And, like, when's the right time for a founder to delegate and stop doing things like customer support tickets and inquiries? Great, great question. I mean, look, at the end of the day, a founder should do every job in the business before they can actually tell other people how to do it. Um, and hopefully you're the worst at doing them as well. Otherwise, you haven't hired very well. Um, so um, it's a very tough question to answer. To be totally honest, I would say... Um, um, try to have a personal relationship with people as much as you can i still answer a lot of emails to random people i get a lot of emails in box zero is very hard um but i do try i really try to answer as many people as i possibly can mm. um and that's why you know linkedin can be quite a source of anxiety understandably for that like the inbox there can be a bit nuts but hmm. um there isn't a magic answer to this stuff right like the reality is like um what helps at a certain time is setting yourself rules um and I've tried to do that. And I, you know, talk a big game about it. And obviously in January, you set yourself your rules. And by December, you kind of forgotten what those rules even were. But for a time period, you know, I'd set myself up. For example, I was um, doing lots of speaking engagements. And then for a while, I was like, I'm not, not going to do any speaking engagements at all unless they're for charity. Um, it's a really easy marker for me, right? As unless it's for charity or I can maybe learn something exceptional for myself. Because at this stage of my life where I'm at, you know, I need to limit the things I'm doing. I need to focus more time on my business. So sometimes like actually being able to just set yourself a frame for that thing. For example, I will no longer answer any customer emails that don't have to personally be answered by me would mm. be one framing. Some, mm. some have to be personally answered by you, but some I get loads of customer service ones. And frankly, I get loads of nutrition ones and I constantly say, like, I'm not a nutritionist, but we hire nutritionists. So can I pass you on to them? Yeah, that's a slightly cop out and obvious answer because you know you shouldn't be answering it responsibly. But there are a lot of a lot of questions that um, founders will try and answer to like feel credible, but actually it doesn't make sense. You're not the best person to answer. So try and create some rules and then try and stick to them. Probably be the right answer. It's a great answer. And my my observation from the outside here is that your hyper curiosity, uh, combined with obviously the supplements you take from this uh, this startup called Heights 
is is allows you or enables you to like power through a, a lot of a lot of stuff very fast and be relentless and interested in so many things. So we've got last couple last few minutes. The time has flown as I thought it would. But um, to just get personal, um, Dan, I know you're as candid as anyone. Um, where where are you now on your own sort of mental health journey? And and you shared so much. I mean, I read a LinkedIn post last week about your frustration where Heights wasn't, you know, getting mm. month on month growth and. Um, but it was also a positive call to action. Like, where where are you at today? And and I guess I, we, the context of the world that we're in, and like so many of us feel overwhelmed by. I mean, look at the news, twenty four hour news we've got in in the UK at the moment. It's horrific, right? And, and oh, well, I don't look at the news on purpose. My mum thinks I'm go. a and then, and then of course we've I got explain to her my mental health. I don't do that. Yeah, and so so you're a new dad, and so there's some sleep deprivation there. There's the, the challenges of that. Where are you at on your journey, and and what's helping you? Um, so where I'm at in my journey is um, I'm very deliberate about two or three things, like very deliberate. And it's because I've had experience of not doing them. Um, the three really obvious things are basically the things that I would say I built my company and my personal brand around, really. Like, you know, the two obvious ones are um, I'm very deliberate about gratitude. Uh, I, I uh, you know, it sounds ridiculous, but it's completely true. You know, I wake up every single morning and before I've done anything at all, I say, I'm really grateful for waking up today. And I built that habit. I forced that habit on myself by writing myself a note that said, I am grateful for waking up today. And I left it by the side of my bed. And it took me about two years of looking at that before it became a habit. Because uh, I wake up grumpy and tired and whatever, like everyone else does. And wake you up say it out loud. Up. You say it to your wife and to the room. No, I say it. No, I say it internally. I say it to okay. myself. I also, you know, the other thing is, um, I try not to be a preachy wanker to my wife and other people around me because it's never really gone well. Um, so I try, I try to make sure that I'm also really aware that I'm on a journey, and my wife is on a journey too at a different pace and. You know, some of the agitations that happen when you're living with people and you're working with people as well as you want everyone to go at the same pace as you. And that's not fair on other people. So we do practice gratitude together at night. So we've created a habit. You know, it's genuinely where our next product, my, the Brain Care Journal, came out of. Like we've been practicing gratitude um, in a journal at night as the last thing we do before we go to bed every single night for, for two and a half years now. Um, and I'd say it took about a year of me gently nudging her and doing it around her and just getting into the process of doing it around her before she joined me um so you know there's a lot of this sort of like i would say in terms of mental health journey if this resonates with anyone that's on a journey with a partner as well you know look after yourself figure out what works for you make sure that you are genuinely doing it for you and that it works for you and you might inspire someone else if you're lucky to start to to play it with you so Gratitude is the thing for me, and and I won't get into the whole science of it because you know it's not really the question. But the point is, there's a lot of evidence as to how a grateful mind and abundant mindset, you know, really positively impacts your mental health. And um, you know, good mental health to me is in two parts. One is your mind. The second is your brain. So. And I know that sounds like, you know, we're the same thing, but they're not. So there are things that you can do to impact your mind and there are things you can do to impact your brain. So nutrition and hydration, those are things you can do to impact your brain. Um, and if you don't have good optimized brain health, you will struggle to have good optimized mental health. It's not my opinion. It is a scientific fact. Um, so if you generally wake up a bit tired, a bit a bit this, a bit that, a bit like, mm, I don't quite feel so great today. And this is the kind of thing like most people have actually kind of accepted that as the norm. 
So like, yeah, but like, you know, I hear this all the time. Yeah, but you know, like, who does? And you're like, well, you're not meant to not feel like really good. You're you're meant to like actually feel good every day. That is kind of the point. So the reality is, um, look after your mind. Gratitude is a great one. Look after your brain. Nutrition, hydration, um, and then the third one for me is movement. So uh, walking. I walk every day. I never miss a day. It doesn't matter if I've only got 10 minutes and it's so back to back or whatever. I will literally not miss a day to get outside and go for a walk. Doesn't matter, rain or shine. It's just such an important thing. We're, we're human beings. We're designed to move. Mm. Um, actually moving outside um, if you can. And again, constant gratitude, right? Like what's your frame of reference? Like if you're lucky to have two legs and be able to move, you are so lucky to go outside and utilize that benefit that you fortunately have. So you know, I try to make sure that I do that every day and that has a massive impact on my mental health too. In terms of where I am in my journey, um, very much the unfinished, um, you know, unfinished article. I uh, suffer a lot from um, imposter syndrome often, less so now than I used to, but I still have it. Um, I Comparison is the thief of joy. Like everyone, I compare myself to what my peers are doing. Secretly, this doesn't exactly help. Um, you know, every single week I'm speaking to someone who's built a billion dollar business and I haven't yet. And so mm. I try to come back to the now and come back to I'm on a journey, I'm in a process, things are happening, but I'm speaking every single week to people that have done greater things than me. And, you know, I am very happy and I've got great balance in my life and I'm very fortunate, but I'm also very ambitious. And so it's just, you know, I can't help but admit that I um I I get jealous. Right. And I get, you know, negative thoughts. I don't want to be a jealous person. I'm embarrassed that I would be jealous. And then I sit with my thoughts. I'm like, you know, can't believe that I, you know, haven't transcended the feeling of jealousy rather than just being happy for someone else's success, you know. So where I am on my journey is uh it's still complicated, still battling my mind, absolutely. Um, but I am quite committed to building in public, right? So I'm I'm committed to helping other entrepreneurs like understand what it's like to build a company in the moment it's so easy and this is the thing with with secret leaders it's so easy to build this company um with uh you know hindsight and that's what people do on secret leaders you know i built this billion dollar company here's all the stuff in hindsight i don't really know many of them that have built the thing on on the way and shared everything on the way in public um that's kind of what I'm proud to be doing. And it's really uncomfortable sometimes, as you saw in my last post, right? Like we're, we've got lots of investors. Um, you know, I always respectful. I make sure the investors get their update first. And so no, none of my investors would read something on LinkedIn that they didn't already know that I haven't brought up. I think, you know, it's really, you've got to be respectful about your shareholders, your stakeholders that matter. Um, but then the rest is like, learn, learn with me, right? We had so many great months of growth at the moment. We're really struggling for growth. We can't really find a breakthrough um that's why i say product market fit i have other thoughts on what is going on and why that is but the reality is it sucks it's not great um i had to let go of someone like really senior that the like the team loved i had to do that um yesterday and it was horrible and i'm mm. dealing with the fallout from my team and lots of time spent with them on this and why it has to happen um this is the reality of like building in public right and finding the moment i'm not about to do a post on linkedin talking about it without their permission but, you know, this is the reality of this stuff is like, you know, startups are really hard. Um, there are moments that you're learning this stuff in real time. And I think there's a great value to people following your journey to be learning that stuff with you on the journey. Uh, it's a wonderful answer, Dan. And, and 
final observation from me is that actually what you're building with heights and as you just described your practice of uh, focusing on your mind uh, and separately your brain and then movement is also something that's helping you and always helping me even listening to you think about when you do get those strong emotions whether it's the, the je jealousy or the anxiety or whatever you're dealing with that that scientific background is almost like helps you it's like a, a when you learn a bit of philosophy you're like oh that's my ego over there it's interesting or that's my anger i wonder what will happen next and it's a privilege to be able to do that right but it's um yeah there's a there's a sense of uh, a sense of, a strong sense of wisdom that um anyway i've been gathering from you over the last the last hour and i knew i would so dan listen we could talk forever we haven't even talked crowdfunding or we haven't even dived into the metaverse in a deep way but oh, i appreciate especially in the con in the context of um you know as you've just shared a challenging a challenging day in the business um to spending your time with us this evening and uh, i know many more people will watch and listen to this as well, well so may daniel I thank you I just want to add a point here. Um, great way to build a career is like be reliable. You know, to this point, yeah, it would have been really easy to cancel or whatever, but I would never do that. But people do that and don't ever do that to people. Like you have a commitment with people regardless of anything. Keep to your word, do what you say you'll do and you'll go quite far. A hundred percent. And if you do stand Dan up, he'll mention it on Twitter. All right. <laughs> Dan Murray, sir, so big, big round of applause from all the Virgin Startuppers. Hope to see you soon in person, Dan, and uh, have a great rest over the next few weeks if you can. Thanks so much, Ben. Lovely to chat, mate. Cheers, Dan. Right, everybody. Thanks for being with us. Um, I, there's so much in that. And I know we jumped all over. So appreciate you, you staying in tune with it. I'm sorry we couldn't ask all your questions. Um, but Dan is lively on his social networks. So get on there and um, tweet him or, or LinkedIn. he's on LinkedIn as well, a lot as well. We are now going to switch to a session. So if you come over, there's just one session. If you head there, you can come in and chat, share your story, tell us what you're working on, ask us a question. Some of the lovely Virgin Startup team will be in there. Andy will be in there. I will jump over. So we'll see you shortly there. Otherwise, have a fantastic uh, festive break. Look after yourselves, that brain that mind and that body of yours. Take care of yourself and everyone around you. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. If you found it useful, please share it with other founders and rate and review it online. For tickets to our next meetup, head to virginstartup.org. I look forward to seeing you there.